0: What's happening? Thanks for pushing play. Before we get into the episode, go ahead and hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcasting platform and please leave a five star rating and review. Let's get the show out to as many other cash flow veterans out there as possible. Those who are looking to secede from the current system and change their life one day at a time. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the cashflow veteran daily newsletter. You can find that at cashflowveteran.com and download my latest ebook. Welcome to Cash Flow Veteran, this is John, your host. This is for military members, veterans, spouses, and anybody else affiliated with the military. This show is where fighting for your financial freedom is just as important as your political freedom. Let's get to it. What I would like to build is something that can weather the storm that my family and those around me, can benefit from when the U.S. government can no longer cover its obligations to pay its debt and its inability to provide services that that it's promised that it will to its own citizens. Uh, there's a uh, just a really crazy story of the FBI basically entrapping, almost killing, uh, until they almost got caught doing it, but they finally put him in a jail cell anyway, and now uh, he is uh, in Indiana. Uh, his name's Schaefer Cox, and he wanted to build a system in Alaska where he was and he was being very successful with it where um, they even had like an app or at least an idea called the Liberty Bell where if somebody got pulled over by one of the cops they would actually text some everybody that's in the Liberty Network and as a part of being a part of this network that they had one of the requirements was if somebody asks for help you drop what you have, you have and you go help them. And the way that they would go help them if they ever got stopped is you just have a whole bunch of people show up where the cop was and everybody would peacefully turn on their phones and they would record everything that was going on from as many angles as possible with the cop. And they would get there as soon as possible to hold the cops there uh, accountable for it. He also was trying to build a system where people could barter and basically build up their own personal economy that's there to survive when the US government fails, that their community can survive without it and that they, they can uh, peacefully, uh, they're not trying to take on the state, they weren't trying to go to war with the state. But what's interesting is that was still such a threat for people the, and them spreading those ideas were such a threat that they sent the FBI and FBI informants to go and trap him and even try to kill him at one point. To a point where they're finally able to arrest him and actually take him out of the equation altogether. And he's still in jail for crimes that they said he committed that he never committed. That's our US government for you. So, from the Fed's creation until now, this has been the end game central planning and central control of our lives by the experts. I mean, this has been in the works for a very long time. This is Woodrow Wilson's uh, desire. I mean, this is where the experts get to decide what it is. And it's a very uh, what's the what's the word i'm looking for the hubris that these people have in order to do this is mind-boggling to me it's such a puritanical strain of i know it's best for you and i'm going to take care of it and it's it takes away the consent of everyone else and it's just crazy so let's look at some of the, the things that are probably going to happen based on the book called the everything bubble he talks about pension bankruptcies to companies dissolving basically or subsumed into larger corporations, just going out of business altogether, defaulting on their debts, municipalities actually going into bankruptcy. So we've already seen Detroit uh, have to file bankruptcy, but this is also going to be true of uh, other local cities, other local governments, perhaps even states. You're going to see a gigantic wealth tax probably come out, bailouts. um, Once they actually make it illegal, and technically there's parts of it that they've made illegal to bail out certain companies, what you're going to start seeing is they can't call it, a bailout in the sense of what it was in 2008 from that debacle, but they're going to go into what's called a bail in. They're going to have bank holidays where you can't actually go to your bank and actually take any money out. Cause if everyone has a run on the bank, meaning that everybody tries to go get their money out. The crazy thing is is the bank doesn't have enough cash on hand for all of its deposits that are there. And that's crazy. And they're going to shut it down so that you cannot do that. Um, And the thing is, is they've already done this. uh, And they've already ran kind of this scenario, if you will, in the, in, In Europe in the European Union this is where the ideas of universal basic income come come from basically the government giving you a subsistence wage and hey what if you don't get your uh, you don't do what they say if you try to maybe homeschool your kids you don't get UBI you have to your kids have to go to public school you don't get your uh, immunizations you don't get your UBI if you don't get um, you know if you break the law too many times you don't get UBI and so these are things of how they, they get to control. And this is where the cash grabs come in, where they actually start phasing out cash uh, using basically kind of market tools, but then outright banning and making cash illegal. So we're headed for nuclear levels of QE. And this is one of the things that in Graham Summers really gets into and negative interest rates in order for the Fed and the US to fight another economic crash, even though they're the ones that are causing it in the first place. So Graham Summers systematically explains how we got to this point in his book, The Everything Bubble. And I don't know... When the bubble will burst, no one does, but it will. COVID-19 certainly provided a pin to burst the bubble and and they printed more money in four months than every bailout of the 2008 crash combined. Uh, Maybe they got a Band-Aid put on, maybe they didn't, we'll we'll have to see what the market ends up saying. Um, But you had record numbers, basically breaking the record from the Great Depression. We had more people out of work in that amount of time. And I don't know if there's really a way that we really bounce back from this. Um, Even though the numbers, even though we're, We're all all time highs with the stock market again, as I said at the very beginning of this podcast, the stock market isn't the economy. And there's so many ways that they can manipulate it that don't show the truth until it's too late. And that's why they focus on it in the first place. But the crash that we have is going to be inevitable, but knowing when isn't the point. Another book I highly recommend is called The Skyscraper Curse uh, by a guy named Mark Thornton. Uh, He makes, uh, some really important observations. Number one about the Austrian business cycle theory, um, and specifically that the Austrian business cycle theory is a qualitative and an explanatory in its nature versus its predictive nature. So it doesn't try to predict when something is going to happen, but it provides a diagnosis of uh, why it's going to happen and what the symptoms and what the out uh, what will happen on the other side as well and what the effects will be and how long it will be. And this is where, I mean, they are spot on from uh, any number of events that have been out there and they even go through and they detail like, Oh, well, no one could have saw the 2008 crash come and they have a table in here that specifically talks about the different forecasts uh, in the schools of economic thought that specifically talked about what, bubble they talked about what forecasts they were making and when so they have a list of almost 25 names that are here that talk about ones that are basically predicting the existence of a bubble for the dot-com crash and more specifically ones for uh even the 2008 crash as well so the thing about Austrian business cycle theory is that it's more consistent, it's, it's a more coherent body of work that has, has its adherence that can diagnose the existence of the bubbles, not when they pop necessarily, but explains why it booms and why the inevitable effects of, the, of it bursting, the necessary burst that comes from actually inflating the currency. I don't even know if, if prediction is even possible for the same reason that central planning is impossible it's way too complicated it can't measure just in mere numerical values when the takes rational actors making decisions based on the incentives that they are having every single day to go buy something from somewhere and or their deeply rooted emotional desires of every individual so it can't it cannot take into account everybody's desire and their decision points in order to actually get the things that they need or It can't also take into account what incentives that are put out there by government institutions or other companies or other banks and how that's going to impact individuals. They can to a degree when you're looking very specifically and very honed in, but then it just can't actually take the comprehensive view to actually predict any of those things. So it also highlights the problem of fascism, socialism and communism. They're so bad at pricing, that it can bring down an entire empire. And honestly, we're kind of finding that out for us. It's called the socialist calculation problem. Ludwig, Ludwig von Mises uh, Ludwig von Mises is the one that really kind of came up and honed this idea of the so- socialist calculation problem is that when you centrally plan it, you are so bad at getting the pricing right that it actually cripples your ability to continue as a nation because the monetary is, uh, monetary policy is so ingrained in central planning, that it screws everything else up it's that's the reason why when you're trying to control the environment in the middle of the the great depression when people are starving to death you literally have FDR policies that are out there destroying crops it's the reason during this COVID-19 nonsense that you have people who have to basically bury onions, cabbage, they, have, they no longer can actually produce the amount of meat that they have. So they have animals that are just completely going to waste. They can't feed them. They don't have enough income coming in to actually feed them. And this is a problem of the economies of scale of these larger companies. This would not happen if everything was more decentralized or at least it wouldn't have such a systemic impact across the entire economy. You wouldn't have to worry about it. And one example that I have is a guy from the Lions of Liberty podcast, Uh, When he's talking about where he is and kind of what he's doing uh, with his life, he's basically kind of living in Mexico right now. And the thing is, is they're technically under lockdown. But when it comes to actually people in this small community that are subsistence farming, they're growing everything that they have to eat that's there, and they have uh, their their food production, their drink production, whether whatever beverage that they have that's there. And then the other stores and companies and stuff that are there. And guess what? They're they're not letting it's it's not that they're they don't have laws in place that are telling them they can't do certain things it's just they're ignoring it altogether. and why aren't the police coming well it turns out the police and other people who could enforce this stuff you know you're not going to go shut down grandma's shop because of it this is how they're living they're living subsistently in, in they're living by subsistence in order just to get by they don't have the big big places that are there and even if they do have some of the bigger chain stores and stuff those are shut down they're not getting any of that so they have local economies that are taking care of themselves now i don't necessarily want to go back to that i think those can actually blossom into much bigger things that on a regional level or even a smaller scale than just a region can do much better at taking care of its community than having these gigantic companies that are out there trying to do that because now we have a gigantic waste when you shut an entire economy down the, the economy of, of scale that they used in order to make a profit, even though they could drive it down, the moment you shut that off, you turn that spigot off for whatever crisis or whatever reason you have, the impact of that is even greater on the amount of waste that has to come from that. And that's a problem. Want to know how I get my day started right and how I stay on task throughout the day? I've tried tailoring a bunch of different planners and journals to include, you know, what I'm grateful for, goal settings, habit tracking, and it always seemed that I was doing more work every single day just setting up my planner and keeping track of the whole thing. And then I discovered bestself.co, and I got the self journal. And this was quite a few years ago. You can even check out my blog for one of the unpacking and a little bit of explanation there too. But it has all that stuff that I was trying to physically write in all right there in the pages has goal setting, daily habit tracking, has the agenda for the day, and a daily reflection. And each journal goes for a 90-day period so that you can keep track of your 90-day goals. Plus, the support they give you to get organized and plan that next 90 days is second to none. Well, right now, I'm actually trying to see if I like the self-planner that actually covers a six-month period. So I'm putting a lot more content out, and I like to see a bigger view of my weeks and my months, while I still manage my daily activities, journaling my insights, scoring those goals that I've set for myself, and tracking my habits. And that's not all they got. They have a ton more. But if you're looking for the right journal or planner for you, check out best self. To support the go- show, go to cashflowveteran.com slash best self. And if you decide to buy through my link, I get to do more for the show and more for cash flow veterans out there who are seceding from the system so one great explanation of this whole socialist calculation problem is the complication in an article called I pencil by Leonard Reed as well so written in 1958 and he goes into how complicated it is just to make a pencil a pencil so in fact an individual cannot actually produce their own pencil without the division of labor in each industry or each entity that's there and ultimately individuals desire from those industries and how they price each at how they run their pricing at every stage of production. A really simpler explanation of this concept. And I mean, it's a really simple essay that he wrote to begin with. Uh, One of my favorite series that they have is called the Tuttle Twin series by Connor Boyack. And it's called the Tuttle Twins and the Miraculous Pencil. And it's a way to explain to children some of these free market principles that are going on and why it is so difficult to even have one person build a pencil and why we need free enterprise. In fact, there are plenty of other works within the the Austrian business cycle canon that explain the causes and the fallout of every single crash, why FDR made the Great Depression last for 10 years rather than overcoming it within the typical two to three year period. Uh, Even if uh, Herbert Hoover, if he would have not implemented the policies that he implemented, which FDR basically expanded, we probably would have been out, out of that depression before FDR even took office. And it explains why deregulation or the evil of capitalism was not the cause of the 2008 crash. The movie in the book, The Big Short, it's certainly one that I love uh, going into, especially the movie, has some of my favorite actors that are in there. And there are other movies that actually talk about the crash as well, but they don't go far enough to explain the government's role and the Federal Reserve's role in creating the bubble in the first place. They just blame it on capitalism and the greedy capitalists of the banking institutions and the housing institutions and the other people who are basically incentivized to go give loans, whether that's mortgage uh, brokers, whether those are the real estate agents that are out there. I mean, they're just responding to the incentives as workers, as people who are earning a living day to day. Those are the incentive. Those are the incentives that they were going by. Yes. They were incentivized by greed by government policy. The funny thing about the Austrian business cycle theory is that it not expressly, it's not expressly about tearing down government. It's not about, it's not even necessarily libertarian. But it's an academic school of economic thought that is searching for understanding. The other schools that are out there, uh, in my mind, from what I've seen, really seek power and tenure, whether that's on a board tenure, on a uh, editorial staff or a writing staff for certain news publications that are supposed to be the the premier news publication of the United States, or whether that's tenure in college or university systems. They also do it for influence for their own selfish reasons, even after specifically those theories have been discredited and have shown that they don't work. And they have to keep making exceptions to show why their theory still does work. And then when those exceptions are tested, they still continue to do the same thing. And as it turns out, government likes the answers that are typically pro-government. So they're going to give the government what they want by continuing down that line of reasoning. And it's also why the government doesn't initially want the truth because who wants to be told that they're the problem? What individual in the government thinks that it's their problem without passing the buck onto the next person or blaming the previous person before them? They don't have the same incentives that a free market has in order to take the responsibility of it. They can't, it is impossible. So okay, fine, John, doom and gloom, I got it. What's the solution? So this is where I'm gonna reintroduce Douglas McCormick. So we talked a little bit about kind of his perspective where he came from as a veteran, why he talks about veteran issues where they are and why his book kind of applies to them. And he goes, goes through an appreciation of it. So your personal economy, that is your ability to provide value to people around you, who are your family, your customers. And it is the single most important engine to win. His book, Family Inc. again, I'll kind of pull it up. Family Inc. goes into it and it's one of the best practical guides of instilling a mindset of business. Specifically, he's talking about the idea that you and your family are a business, that the mindset shift is not that you're just a family, you're just a people, but the family unit itself is a store of value that it has production capacity and that you should treat it as such. And therefore it breaks down to two things. You're a business owner, whether you have a job or not, you are a temporary labor business. So you're contracting out your labor and you're an asset management business. So number one, you have your budgets, you have your savings, you have your investments and you have to control those to make sure that you can last into your dying day but you also have a temporary labor business that defines the amount of value from the marketplace that you're going to have. And so he talks about maximizing the value of that single biggest asset, a single biggest asset. And that's your labor, your qualifications, your skill sets, the things that you're continually learning and then applying to the marketplace. He also talks about how to double your value of labor through education. And so why, how you can effectively leverage the education system, if that's a route that you want to go down, or at least uh, other edu- educating companies, other ways of learning, whether that's an apprenticeship, a journeymanship, what, whatever that case might be, and teaches you how to actually calculate an ROI. How do you get a return on investment from whatever educational opportunity that you find that are out there? And while I do disagree with this a little bit, he does go into the standard advice about going to college and what that means as far as your ability to make more money, I think that is becoming less and less true. And I think when big companies uh, or even small companies start actually looking at apprenticeships, I think we're gonna be bringing a lot of that back as our economy flattens out and and people are actually able to work in higher orders of uh, higher orders of intellect, higher orders of need. Um, When automation really kind of takes over some of those other jobs, they're actually gonna be able to then leverage their ability to learn and learn faster and then apply those things and i think actually being having the more real world real world experience rather than trying to do a bunch of theory for four years and get a six-figure amount of debt on top of it i think it's going to make a lot more sense to actually do apprenticeships um and and when big companies and smaller companies actually wake up to that it's certainly going to be something that uh I think will be revolutionary for our economy if if people aren't out there to try to stop it. And, and there will be. Um, so one excerpt that I wanted to drive on from his book is like, while education can be a valuable asset, this is only true if a student has the interest and aptitude to apply the education to his his or her professional endeavors upon graduation. And so this is also part of the theory that, you know what, there are degrees that you cannot use when you get out? Why in the world would you need to use them? It's also why even in uh, the high schools or primary education for people that I don't believe that there are certain topics that even need to be discussed anymore. Um, Why financial literacy isn't a part of it is beyond me. This is why I am in favor of uh, homeschooling because there's certain principles that you can drive. You can allow them to do more entrepreneurial type of things and learn Math principles at the same time that they're learning how to conduct a business. I think reading, writing, and arithmetic are some of the most basic things that you can do. And once they have those uh, well in hand or at least mastered, once they have that literacy mastered, whether that's uh, literacy as far as being able to read and write, whether that's financial literacy, you're then able to apply yourself where they have the most amount of interest. Why in the world would you want to shore up a child's? you know, downsides. If in reality, they're going to blossom even further. If you can focus on some of the things that they're really good at and let them really pursue those things. That's also why I love the Montessori education system is because that that's kind of the basis of the model and we've seen our kids really blossom from that. Um, He also does draw, and this is where we'll get into a little bit of um, we'll, we'll come back to your business of labor and why, your ability to improve your value of labor matters. And we'll, we'll get into that here in just a sec. So as I kind of round out this idea, he also draws a good case for the insur- insurance structure. And I think there's a better way. And this is all, this comes back to why people should, you know, they say, rather than getting a whole life insurance policy, you should get a term life insurance policy and then invest the difference. While that may be true to some extent on, and even when you look at some of the numbers, you can draw a case that that would make a lot of sense. The difference being though, is when you get a whole life insurance policy, that's basically what the whole life insurance policy is doing. It has a base of uh, insurance that's there to hold as coverage, but then it also has the other part of it that has a obligation to actually go out and get a return, but it also has a, a floor that it also, the value can't drop behind as well. But for me, it's not just about whole life versus term and invested difference. It's about the infinite banking concept versus term and invested difference. And I I disagree with his assertion where he says, but they are not designed to be good investments and therefore should be bought sparingly. I certainly partly agree with that depending on what type of insurance vehicle you're getting. But when it comes to the idea of the infinite banking concept, this is where as an asset management system, building your bank where you can store wealth, you can use it to consolidate, you can use this vehicle to secede from the banking system that we've been talking about, and then redeploy that capital. Number one, to you, you can use it to, uh, as you're paying in into this system, it's a way for you to be able to recapture your interest payments that you're paying somewhere else. So you can pay off those debts. And instead of paying someone else, as you, pay, as you pay those debts over time. So instead of paying for five years at an interest rate for a debt consolidation loan, if you're able to start putting money aside into a whole life insurance policy that you can do a policy loan from to pay that off, you then can recapture that interest payments over those five years. You can keep the same payment. You don't have to pay it off really, you keep the same payment and you are now collecting that interest rate rather than the bank. And that is really where the power comes in of using something like this, where it's not an investment vehicle. I agree. It's an asset management vehicle. Want to learn the history they didn't teach you in school? Check out Liberty Classroom put together by the one and only Tom Woods. He's brought along many of his colleagues to teach the politically incorrect version of history and economics that your teachers wouldn't dare teach you. Don't have time for lectures? Well, guess what? You can download the lectures directly onto your smartphone as well. My favorite so far has been the U.S. President's Best and Worst by Brian McClanahan. I found a new respect for some presidents that I've had and plenty more scorn for a lot of others. And no, I don't mean Trump. No, I don't mean Obama. Please give me a little credit for having a little bit of nuance here. Uh, the next course for me is actually going to be How Freedom Settled the West by Brad Berzen. I'm really excited about that one. And guess what? It wasn't regulation. It's not government bureaucracy. It was freedom that settled the West. Uh, I don't need to move to Somalia to show you how a stateless society actually can function. There are plenty of examples in our own history. But history never stays the same. We never we're, We are people that are in space and time. And it's actually up to us to create and form the world that we want to live in. You can only do that by getting smarter every day and challenging your own assumptions. So come join thousands of other lifelong learners by signing up for Liberty Classroom. You can get there by going to cashflowveteran.com slash Liberty Classroom. That's one word, cashflowveteran.com slash Liberty Classroom. Now there's other things that, that I could really talk about too, but let's also get into We're talking about beating the inflationary monetary system that's doomed to fail. We have to outpace it. We got to outthink it. And we have ways to secede. Now, while it might traditionally have been built to provide insurance, if there is a way to outthink part of the system where you can secede from the banking system where you no longer need it, why not do that? Why not find a way to secede? Why not find a way to outpace using your personal economy, to find a way to improve your single biggest asset, to maximize the value of that asset. And then to find a way that actually manages those assets in a way that really grows wealth and you can redeploy that capital where you see fit. It's a faster way of actually getting out. And this is where, uh, he also talks about paying yourself what you're worth through entrepreneurship. And this is where I 100% agree with where he's coming from. So you can, uh, probability suggests that the path to significant wealth is not through traditional employment alone. Employment as a means of increasing skill and your value of labor, I think is key. One of the things that Robert Kiyosaki talks about in Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and his other books is he, when you go get a job, why not go get a job at a place that has the best possible to gain a certain skill so he worked at xerox because they had the best sales program and not that he loved xerox he wanted to go there because he wanted to learn from the best so i also think that this is absolutely true when it comes to uh, learning how to increase your pie versus just divvying it up to pay off debt this is where i, I disagree with dave ramsey quite a bit um You'd certainly have to, I would rather spend more to invest in myself and my skills, because that will have a greater return when I go actually deploy my labor somewhere, whether that's as a business owner, or whether that's as a employee of a company, especially if it's I'm going now that I gain skills that I get better paid as an employee, but now I'm also at this one place of employment that is now paying me a certain amount because of the previous skills that I've gained, but I'm only there because I'm actually gaining a skill that I think that they can really teach me. That's going to go back into a business that I started. So I, certainly pay off debts. I, I think his Dave Ramsey's focus of paying off debts is good, but the amount of energy, the same discipline and energy that it takes to pay off that debt and to use that system and follow Dave Ramsey's advice is the same energy and discipline it will take to increase your skills to find a way to improve your income and to build your bank. It's the same principles and skill sets and discipline that it's going to take to use IBC to use a first lien home equity line of credit as your new checking account. Now that's a whole new idea. Don't worry about that right now. I will go into that much further down the line, but it's also using those same things to actually go learn, to actually put yourself in a place where you, you got to hustle. Now, I certainly understand where people, if you're living paycheck to paycheck, my wife and I have been there. In some cases, uh, we kind of still are there. This last year, I've, just, I've really been trying to gain as much stuff as I can. And, and building a business is you know, a thousand times harder than I thought it would be. And even right now, I'm, I'm specifically looking for employment uh, in sales. Um, I, I tried some sales on my own and I quickly realized that there's still a lot more that I need to learn. And so I've started you know, looking for employment and, and getting employed at a place that specifically does corporate sales. And it's a, it's a gun range that uh, is more like a country club where you bring people in. Now, I've worked on part-time on the retail side uh, of that, and, but I will be moving into the corporate sales side because that's another skill that I can learn through them. And it, it, it's a great program for me to actually gain that particular skill while I'm still building. Casual veteran, while I'm still building Papillion Digital Marketing, while I'm still doing these other things uh, for it. So, uh, one of the other things that says about uh, IBC is I think it's a much more powerful asset management system than anything else that's out there. Uh, one of the guys that actually talks about this, he has a book called uh, "How Privatizing Banking Really Works," basically integrating the Austrian economics with the infinite banking concept. And uh, Carlos Lara and Bob Murphy co-authored this book. And one of the things they really kind of get into is they uh, talk about basically list list what an ideal investment would be. And when he actually has people that actually start listing all the things of what the perfect investment, the ideal investment would be, it actually turns out using a whole life insurance policy with the tenants of IBC, the infinite banking policy, it turns out that that actually is the ideal investment and a great asset management vehicle to act as your bank and fund your purchases and allow you to secede from that system. Now you can employ that right now. And then we want to be able to take that and then apply it to your business, apply it to your employment. So your current employment, your current skills, your current value of labor can fund that as you're going. That's part of the personal economy. You don't have to start a business right away in order to improve your personal economy that I like to talk about. Um, Your personal economy talks about everything. It talks about your mindset. It talks about uh, if you need to go talk to a counselor to get to work through issues that you haven't been able to work with that have caused trauma in your life, that's part of improving your personal economy. If if you have to go to marriage counseling because you and your wife, even though you're trying to move in a certain direction, or your wife's trying to move into a certain direction, that change can scare the other person and cause all kinds of issues if it's not dealt with. So maybe going and talking to somebody as an intermediary might help you guys to be able to do that. I, I'm a big fan of actually being very open and honest and empathetic to that idea. And that's part of growing your personal economy. Growing your personal economy means gaining skill sets. And to kind of conclude this podcast episode, one of the biggest assets, and I've already alluded to it, one of the key skills in owning a business is learning sales and marketing. It is a primary skill for owning a business. So as you gain employment, use that employment as a means of gaining skills rather than actually having the employment itself as the ultimate goal. Now, you can stay with that company for as long as you think you need to. But if you've tapped out of gaining that new skill and you need another skill, then do that. But at the same time, build a simple business. Keep your side business as simple as possible. Keep it as manageable as possible while you're gaining all those skills. That's why when it comes to cash flow, veteran, that's why I focus on at least getting my daily email out to my daily email list to improve my copywriting because I should have been doing copywriting a long time ago. And I have a resource that I'm going to give you guys that's an affiliate link for me um, and so that's one way that you guys can support the show but really the value that you're going to get from it, it comes from what I personally experienced and when I took it it's a basically it's a somewhat of a personality test but it's based on sales and marketing what type of sales and marketer should you be because everyone's like oh, I don't want to do sales I don't do marketing but if your only conception of what that is is to be a used car salesman or a pushy person that works at one of the clothing um, a clothing store, whether that's, you know, maybe JC Penney's, maybe that's uh, buckle or something like that. You know, what's the, is the commission structure done in a way where it makes people more pushy when they go talk to you? Or is it just a, a position that you get paid hourly and that you don't have as much incentive to actually go out and learn how to do more sales. And even if you do more sales, getting paid hourly, that doesn't have a commission. Well, guess what? You're, you don't have the incentive to actually push, uh, push further and to do it well. I mean, some of the best salespeople do it in such a way that the person never sell, never feels like they're actually being sold. You're meeting their need. You're not selling something they don't need. You're making sure that there's a product you have that actually meets the need of what somebody else has. And so copywriting is one thing that I should have been doing a long time ago. So again, cashflow veteran, we get on my daily email list and you should absolutely be there. It's one way that I continue to improve my skill as a copywriter to do that. That's why I do the blog that's there as well. I like doing a lot of, I should be doing a lot of face-to-face type stuff. So I I try to add a lot more interviewing in with the podcasting that I have. And that's also why I'm also seeking this opportunity, sales opportunity as employment, because I want to be able to grow that. It's why I view my activism in the Libertarian Party as a means of learning ethical influencing or going door-to-door and talking to people, getting to know them, understanding them, saying maybe there's a better solution from a political process from a political standpoint in their life. Maybe there's something that the Libertarian Party has to offer them that will impact them in their life, their daily life, more than any other party that's gonna be out there. I certainly believe that. It also helps me to do cold calling or building information systems to enable more activism for liberty. Um, but that also, again, I look that as a, an experience that I can gain more uh, sales experience. I can, I can understand where people are coming from more. And so those are some of the ideas from sales and marketing as a primary skill that I've used and why I've designed my life in a way that is pushing me down this path of building cash flow, veteran of why I'm looking for employment out there that improves the skills of sales and marketing, because I believe improving myself is going to make me not, not just better for myself, but it means I serve my audience much better. It means they get the level of service that they deserve as an audience when they're trying to find their way through this craziest system that we have. And so this, the part that I'm going to have for you with this is going to be called, it's called Perry Marshall's Marketing DNA. He has a whole bunch of other stuff. He is it's a phenomenal, phenomenal marketer uh, that's out there. Um, I've learned a ton from him, his books. I'm on his email list. I listen to a lot of his stuff that's there. But the one thing that I want you to do is actually take the marketing DNA test, pay for it. Uh, I will get a kickback from that. And I really appreciate it if you actually go there to do that, but it's going to tell you. So it's going to tell you what type of sales or marketer that you should be based on your answers, based on your personality. And now they're not all perfect or anything like that, but I go back to this for the key tenants of what cashflow veteran is trying to do. Your personal economy is the foundation of where that starts. IBC can help it get off the ground. You can learn where to deploy that capital, especially if it's back into uh, a personal improvement system or whether it's simply buying a personality test that's going to help you move forward. And so that's ultimately what I want for you is, is to give you a resource, show you where I'm coming from, how it's helped me and how it's transformed the way that I'm doing business because I know that it can do the same for you. Uh, So I'm going to provide the link in the show notes and I'll probably just do another clip of a audio. That way I have a place that you can go uh, called cashflowveteran.com slash 8020 or cashflowveteran.com slash marketing DNA, all one word, marketing DNA. All right. With that, I'm going to conclude the episode. I'm glad you guys are still with me. Take it easy. sales and marketing is one of the most important things for you owning or starting a business in fact when you're starting a business you wear every single hat and the thing is is we actually sell influence and market things every day by the types of shirts we wear the shoes we wear the watches we wear the cars we drive i mean you name it we are constantly advertising for someone else Now, rather than just taking a whole bunch of different personality tests that are out there, some are obviously more scientifically valid than others, one of the best things that I did for myself was taking Perry Marshall's DNA marketing test. It answered the question, should I be writing advertising copy? Should I be trying to do face-to-face sales? Should I try to do webinars? Should I try to produce more video content, doing audio content? Should I try to get into... Negotiations? Should I take the time to be a website designer? And one of the crazy things that I found was I should be talking to people. I should be getting face to face and I should be doing copy. And that's why I do my email list every single day so that I can practice something that I'm already ready to do. And the fact is, I figured that out as soon as I took this test. I thought about all my previous experience. It's why I enjoyed doing instructing within the Air Force for so long. It's why I enjoyed. Uh, my political science major in writing persuasive papers, and actually, why I actually enjoy getting in front of other people and discussing ideas and having very healthy debate with people about it. It's why I enjoy doing that. And honestly, when I took this test, my score is 7947. 7, and, you know, that means nothing to you. I just know specifically what I'm supposed to be focusing on as a sales and marketer has actually made it much more enjoyable as I've started building my business. So with that, go to cashflowveteran.com slash marketing DNA. Take your DNA test today so you know exactly where to start. And don't focus on the things that you're not good at. Focus only on the things that you're good at to get your entrepreneurship message out there. That's the episode. Thanks so much for listening. I really would appreciate your support through any of the advertising the affiliate links I share, or you can go to cashflowveteran.com slash support and click on the $5 tip jar uh, and send a cup of coffee my way. Also, I'd love to hear from you, and you can easily do that by downloading the anchor.fm app and leave me a voice message with a comment or a question or a topic that you'd like me to cover, and I'll see what I can do. With that... Take it easy.